You're listening to The Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, former Prep Course Ops Superintendent and current Special Reconnaissance Training Guru, Trent Segmiller. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another amazing episode with uh, the Ones Ready crew. You're in the team room. We're going to do a podcast today, so gather around the uh, the campfire. Today, it's a computer or whatever, your phones. I don't think campfires even exist anymore. So what we're going to be talking about today is my favorite subject, pararescue. But before we get to that, first off, thanks for watching, listening, subscribing, telling your friends about it and everybody else that you know. And second off, um, we have a lot of people that support us, not monetarily, just uh, not through love, hearts, how- you know. For everybody listening out there, I don't know, maybe you have a question about it. Listen, this is it. It's it's thoughts Trent, and prayers, really. Trent, and Trent just answered it. Nobody gives us more thoughts, prayers, and love than Eberly Stock. So go over to Eberly Stock, check out their equipment. They have a new line of shirts and uh, uh, gear. So uh, put in your Ones Ready code, get a 10% discount, and uh, you'll thank me later. Or you'll thank me immediately, or you should be thanking me right now. Anyway, let's get to pararescue. Um, <laughs> I, love your, I love your intros so much. I even put something in the YouTube, like the channel markers last week. I was like, listen to Trent screw the intro up. I love your intros so much. They're always, it always starts off with, I love PJs, and then the like, buckle up. I don't know where it's going, but I'm in for the ride, you know? I, I just, yeah, I'm just here. I'm just here to play. <laughs> but but I'm, and I'm excited because we get to talk about pararescue today. And honestly, it took me a while before I even understood anything about pararescue. So, um, and we get this question a lot. Lots of people are always like, hey, what's, uh, tell us about the career fields and then pararescue especially. And I think it's a, a wide variety of things they do and, and maybe a little misunderstood. And there's only, I don't know, a few hundred of those guys out there in the world, in the world. Um, so we're going to ask, uh, Aaron first, you know, Aaron, you've been, you've been living the life for a long time, technical rescue, pararescue, jumping, all that cool stuff. I don't know anything about it. Give us a, the Aaron love overview of pararescue. The Aaron love overview of pararescue. Yeah. So I, it's funny that we haven't, you know, we're on, this is the 50th episode that we, we haven't mentioned that yet, but this is the 50th one that we've, uh, recorded in order. I don't know when this is going to drop. It'll be awkward if it's not number 50 now, but um, but we've, we've never, uh, we've talked about it for a long time. Like, Hey, we're going to dig down into exactly what, what are these career fields? What do they do? What opportunities do you have, you know, inside of those career fields and all that other stuff. And we do get asked pretty frequently questions that we thought were like, you know, okay, it's pretty simple, man. That's being a PJ. That's being a special reconnaissance man. That's being a, a CCT, but we haven't ever really dug deep into it. So I'm, I'm pumped about it. So Man, on the baseline, like pararescue men are special operators. They're combatants, active combatants. And, um, you know, they have a certain skill set that's like all the other ones, right? So it's like a ranger, like a SEAL, like an, uh, you know, an Army Special Forces operator. We shoot, move, we communicate, we lead. And then we have our add-ons, what makes us a PJ, which is technical rescue capability, being confined space, collapse structure, um, aircraft crash, extrication, and then um, along with trauma medicine, right? So we focus really heavily on, on trauma medicine because... Um, you know, typically as, as pararescue evolved, that's, you needed those skills in order to support the people you were going to get, you know, in the beginning, it was that down pilot, that lost airman that we had, you know, we made specialized teams to go find, um, in terrible, you know, combat situations. Well, when you got there, you needed to provide them care, right? So, you know, we picked up medicine and medicine is a, is a huge part of the career field as well. You know, I, the memes are out there. We, we talk about it frequently where like, I'm not a medic dog, I'm technical rescue, right? Like that is a big thing, you know, in the career field. Um, 
you know, we are, we are jack of all trades. Uh, you know, we are masters of none. So we have a huge skill set, and medicine is a part of that. Um, while we are not medics, we're technical rescue dog. Um, what does that mean? What, what, because we say it a lot. Like I, I hear it yeah. a lot. I see it on the memes, obviously, which I think are yeah. hilarious. Can I, can I dive into it. it real quick? Hit it. Uh, Get it. Here, here's what I think technical rescue is or high angle rescue. So imagine you're out in Norway and you jump into a frozen lake. All right. And you've got three PJs and two controllers. And then you're going to snowshoe to a cliff through some insane snow. Um, at least high, at least for me anyway, right? And you're going you're gonna to snowshoe with heavy rucks, medical equipment, and also extrication gear and with a lot of ropes too, um, to a cliff. And off the edge of that cliff is a pilot that ejected from his aircraft. And he just happened to get stuck. He's injured, you know, broken leg, whatever it is. And not me. But PJs are able to set up three-point systems, and Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, it's just, you know, three-point, six-point systems that are able to go down there, and they physically go down there, grab that guy, treat as they need right then and there, but really it's just packaging those that patient up, bringing them up to the top, providing treatment and triage, and then getting them out into regular help. That has been yeah. my experience. Well. I was on that mission with you, and it was a very good time. That was a good one. Now, if you're described, I was like, wait a second. I was on this mission. Oh, wait. This is me and Peaches. This is awesome. Um, yeah. And and the whole thing with that, like, where the, you know, hey, we're not medics thing come from is, uh, you know, we have spent a lot of our history attaching to other teams. And it's very, very easy for those teams to be like, perfect. You're the medic. You're going to take all the medical stuff, and you're going to go over there and, and whatever. So that that the whole joke about, Hey, I'm technical rescue. I'm not your medic. It's because we're not the medic. Like we're there to help. We are very skilled in, especially like mass casualty. You could put a PJ in charge of a mass casualty scenario and they will crush it as much as a, a you know, um, mass casualty can be crushed in, in essence. Like it's one of those things that we hang our hat on, but we're not there to be the medics, you know? I think one of the important things is, you know, while we're not there to specifically be the medic, you know, obviously you have to be good at all of your skills and medicine is just, you know, what makes us different than CCT and SR and all those people. Cause that's kind of a special skill set. We talk about it all the time is that, you know, everyone kind of shares different things that they do. We're going to learn a little bit of uh cast stuff. We're going to learn a little bit of, you know, whatever SR does stuff sneaking around or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, uh, basis, out, <laughs> yeah, but we are going to be paramedic trained. So we uh, are, you know, from the time that we graduate from PJ school, uh, actually certified paramedics, nationally registered, and all that kind of stuff. So you know, we we keep that up, and uh, we would be we wouldn't be going out there if we weren't trying to save this dude. So we plug up whatever we got to do. We're not doing like anything massive. It's just straight up, you know, how do we get this guy get him safely to the hospital? And that's pretty much as much as we need to know. I don't know. I think some of you guys, and, and as a certified PJ fanboy, right? I don't know if you guys know this. Um, I think you guys mess up because <laughs> pres- every time... <laughs> the president of the fan club. <laughs> don't tell anyone. Uh, every time I ask a PJ, though, a medical question, you know, like, oh, I'm not, like, this is not just what I do. But, like, they always have the answer or they always BS their way through it in a satisfactory manner from wh- from where I'm sitting. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, like, you're like, oh, I'm not really the medic, but it's like, but you know stuff. You're, yeah. you're not bad at it. It's not just knots. <laughs> that's what i'm talking about we had to take tests at some point to you know be nationally registered and they ask us stuff and we got to answer yeah. stuff so 
we can imitate one really, really well, you know, but like that's, it's one of those <laughs> things that makes pararescue, uh, pararescue different. Like when you compare it, it's hard to compare it to, you know, being a, a ranger. They want to compare like all of the things that we do to their one specific skill set. So of course the question is always like, well, who's the better medic? Is it an 18 Delta? Is it a PJ? Is it a ranger medic? Is it, you know, a SAR medic? Like all these, I'm like, well, I mean, we sort of do medicine, but we do it for our overall capability. Like it's a complement to what it is that we do as opposed to, you know, I'm not out there doing field or clinic medicine, you know, out in the wilderness. Like I've done med caps and stuff. Um, you know, where we go out and treat local populace, but that was for a very specific purpose, you know? So, um, it's hard to compare those things across, but yeah, we still, you guys take a ton of pride and I've always liked the medical part of the job and studying and, and keeping up and knowing, you know, at least inside of our lane, you know, like the new TCCC, uh, guidelines are coming out. Like that stuff's, you know, hella interesting to me. Um, but some dudes are just, some dudes are like, all I want is trauma. That's all I care about. I'm going to make sure that we get this patient back home. And that's as far as they go into it, which is awesome because I don't know. That's what they like to do. Yeah. We PJs definitely get a lot more trauma stuff. And if you talk to a green beret or whatever, they'll be carrying around a lot more antibiotics, treating infections, treating that kind of stuff that they're going to see um, downrange. And we're honestly not because when we're at the fob or whatever, we typically have a doc or IDMT to deal with that kind of stuff. And we're not focusing on that we're mostly focused on like I was talking about before get to the patient, keep them alive to get them back to higher level of care. And then, you know, reprep for that next mission, whatever it's going to be not dealing, you know, with whatever SCDs might be floating around the fob, which never happens by the way. (laughs) Gross. No, I was just going to go back to medcap. I I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about medcap when it wasn't a cover uh, for like a move to contact drill. Everything was a med cap, but really it was just, yeah, Sorry. exactly. Yeah. No, that was a, yeah. The med cap was an actual one. It wasn't a patrol to contact. Right. So, uh, so since we're talking Peaches, about that, then Peaches has a question and we're, and we're talking about the, Oh yeah. Well, I guess there's some internet lag then. <laughs> um, so when we're talking about the, the difference between CCT, SR, and PJs, what kind of separates you guys other than just the normal, uh, you know, the medical and the, the trauma aspect of it? I mean, because I know that we do some, some of our skills will cross over. So what, what are some of those things that I as a controller definitely would never touch? You want to take that one, Brian? Patience. Yeah. Never touch the patient. <laughs> yeah. Don't touch the patient unless we ask. No, I'm just kidding. Unless it's me. Yeah, you can touch. You can yeah, uh, take right. care of me. But I think, uh, you know, overall, the biggest thing with PJs is um, we signed up to do missions around the world, anywhere, anytime, all that kind of stuff. You know, real catchphrasey. But the real reality is, you know, if there is something that pops off, you know, in Russia or something that happens, um, even somewhere warm in the jungles, whatever we have to be prepped. And we kind of, uh, use our battle space to, in our training setup to make sure we're ready for whatever deployment. Um, so with that in mind, you know, PJs do lots of not only high angle rescue, but swift water rescue. Um, if you need to go and do some stuff in the jungle, you can go and train for that up in the Arctic. Like we were talking about before we go to Norway, um, and a lot of different places. Um, and then technically, you know, we're talking about the technical rescue aspect of it, set up systems in that arena that, uh, you know, it kind of takes a special skill. People's only jobs 
um, are to do swift water rescue. If you go to California or whatever, and there's some class five rapids, their only job is to do those things. And the PJs are expected to actually perform to that exact same level. And we get trained by the best people. So in that manner, um, sometimes I know a lot of TDYs I've been on, um, we drug along the CCT guy, the SR guy, just because all that training is really fun also, obviously. So I think that's one of the biggest things is not only do you do the uh, medical portion and train to that standard, but also just technical rescue and so many different types of environments that you might encounter around the world. Uh, Aaron, you got yeah. anything? Yeah. And it's more of a, so like we're, we're always doing the safety checks, right? Like my, my controllers, my SR guys, like they, they're tying systems. Like we were on a, last year we went to Montana out, out in uh, Butte or it's like the peak training institute with uh rod Alney, but we were out there and i was laughing at one scenario because the entire the system was built by a controller the person that was going down to provide like medicine and stuff like we were so short on dudes like we sent a tac p guy down to actually get to the patient and package him up but like all of my dudes like they they do medicine we just had a uh, you know the last week of training that we went through you know there was a pj that was working on two patients and was you know directing care on a third and the third was getting treated by the combat controller so, um, but what you'll see for, for PJs is like, that's our whole life, right? So while, you know, controllers may tie systems or SR guys might be treating patients, the pararescue is always going to be there to give that safety check of the entire thing that's going on. Like he's directing that patient care. He's setting up the system, the rope system and making sure that it's like actually safe and it's not going to kill anybody and, and peel off. So, you know, that's, that's kind of where we have our home is that we make, we might not be specialists, like we might not be the mountain guide that's teaching the avalanche course, but we're going to like get into that training and try to get as much of it as possible so that we're in that. When we are in that scenario, you can be a leader in that scenario and you can like, I'm not an avalanche guy. Like I'm not a guide certified by AMGA, but I actually have a pretty good amount of experience in like the avalanche environment. So while I may not be the subject matter expert, I can at least approach a problem and go, okay, wait, what do I need? I need these dudes to do this. I need you guys to go do this. Like I can start working through that problem. So that's really the only difference between like the question was like, how are, how are we different or what, what, what would we do that you guys wouldn't do on the team? And it's just that, that leadership, that safety check sort of position, I'd say. Right, but we we also we also share some things. Like a lot of people think that you guys aren't going to talk on radios, which you absolutely do all the time. Um, same with talking to aircraft. You guys will talk to aircraft all the time as well. Though you may not be doing casts or close air support, you're at least calling in, uh, you know, call for fires or um, if there is kind of an emergency close air support situation, you guys could find yourself in that scenario. But I mean, other than that, I, I know PJs that are rolling out with tactical data like um, radios and everything like that. So it's, you know, we share a lot of the duties, even though you're probably handing your radio over to a controller to program. How dare you? It's just faster for them. They've got it on the tough book. They can just load it. I do, I'm the worst too. Like I just like hand, I just have all of my stuff in my hand. There's one guy on the team. I'll call it his, his name is hot Kyle. So shout out to hot Kyle, but I, he's one of my uh, best controllers. And I just walk up to him with a, a basket of stuff. And I'm like, can you make all of these radios and this ATAC and this GPS and this watch? Can you make them all talk together? And he's like, yeah, just give them to me. <laughs> he just disappears. What? He comes back and then everything magically works. It's great. 
Does he come to you with like a pile of ropes though? It's like, can you do <laughs> no, something with these? He's so good at his job that he's actually better at his his job and my job. So <laughs> he's he like writes his own EPR and like he cleaned my desk one day. I was it was really nice of him. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's it's amazing. Hot Kyle's a hot, hot Kyle's a, a legend in and of himself. But yeah, uh, we we train to that stuff all the time. Like we do, you know. If you think that. You know, I'm not sitting around listening to the radio while the guys are controlling airfields and trying to get smart on that. Like, you know, setting up an airfield assessment, setting up airfield surveys. Like, what do I need to do to support those guys? Like, we all, you know, cross train and all that stuff. Right. right. It's, not, it's not a matter of what is your no kidding job. It's, hey, what if that person goes down? What if they get hurt? You, somebody needs to be able to step up. So that's why you're listening to the radio while he's talking to aircraft, whether it's in the, in the stack or whether it's on the airfield, because you got to know what's going on and you got to know that if something goes wrong, someone's got to be able to step up and make things happen to get everybody out. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, I mean, I, you don't, you don't want me landing an aircraft. You really don't. You know, like, and also if something goes wrong, if you're in a mass casualty event, you see my face, you know, giving people orders and over, you're like, it's not the end of the world. Like it might be okay, but it's, it's, the likelihood is, is not as good if you're not seeing Brian or Aaron there. You know what I mean? Like, and and if you're in the aircraft and you hear me come up over comms trying to land you and it's not peaches, like things have gone wrong. Okay. (laughs) There's problems. There's problems. I would, I don't even know what I would do. I'd just be like, listen, air aircraft, this one's on you. I I can't help you out. Like basically what you say. Can you see me? Can you see my laser? All right. Go there. You just, you do any obstructions, bro. (laughs) Did you throw a shaka up? Uh, go to the YouTube to to watch Trent. Uh, All right. I just wanted to go into, um, you know, so some of the things about the military service in general, you know, people think about, uh, you know, if I go infantry, what am I going to do after I'm done with, you know, X job or whatever job you did in infantry and that kind of stuff. Um, So there are a lot of things that PJs get as far as civilian certification. So I just wanted to highlight that stuff. You know, if you are looking to do whatever afterwards, we have our, I have my NAWI dive certification and my, uh, like five or six different types of certifications. We have like a whole, it's not just unique to me. I'm not trying to like brag or anything, but pretty much every single person that has been in pararescue for over 10 years has a whole big old binder full of certificates and That's a chapter you know, marker. Brian brags about his certs. Sorry. <laughs> One, 100%. Yeah. yeah, I already got it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you guys know me. Um, no, but every single PJ that has been a PJ for a while has a big old binder full of things that they've done. And they're also, a lot of them are civilian accomplishments that you can transfer over, especially like diving. Of course, the NREMT paramedic certification, if you keep that up, you can transfer that over. Um, advanced type of training that applies into the, the real world, um, like ATV. Um, I have my, uh, what is it? The Royal Yachting Association boating license or whatever. <laughs> so yes. just little things wow. like that, that you get wow. paid for through the unit and through your experience, um, just to be able to do whatever things you want to do on the outside. If you're a dude that loves diving or a dude that loves skydiving or a dude that loves ropes, you still have all these schools and certificates of training that really like on the outside, it would be really hard for a person to get that if they're just a normal you know, diver or whatever. So I just want yeah. to bring that up. One of, I forgot one of the things that I really enjoyed doing was the swift water rescue. That stuff was really fun. Yeah. 
those trips are always a always a good time we actually did <laughs> brian and i went out one time in like east anglia down in england and we did swift water like the water does not move there however we definitely jumped into a river and like swam across <laughs> it. it was a pretty good it was a pretty good day <laughs> wasn't as good a training as the time we went to yosemite um from vegas to do that training but that yeah. uh i guess exactly. it got the job done yeah well and I, I forgot like all of these schools and stuff i was i do laugh like when i look at my because again i don't do anything on the outside so I'm, i don't go skydiving i don't you know uh i don't go climb on the weekends like i'm the most boring like out of work pj ever like i don't do i don't go mountain biking i don't go and use it but i laugh because i look at like all the dive certifications i could go to any civilian drop zone and just be like here's my jump record and they're like oh okay you have your like d license like you can challenge to go to the advanced courses essentially right away like you forget uh, how many of these things that you collect like i went to a tactical driving course last summer where we were tooling around with like world-class race car driver chris haynes in like souped up tacomas um it was it was awesome it was fantastic and it was just one of those things like i'd never I'd never be able to do that in real life. Like I would never go, you know, pay. I don't know how much it was. I assume it was expensive, <laughs> uh, but uh, like I would never pay to go do that. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I, I don't have an interest in rally car driving in the desert of California, but for that week it was dope. Yeah. I was the same way as you when I was PJ. I was like, I didn't really do much on the outside. Now that I'm not a PJ anymore, I'm like, I need to go do some stuff. But the job, <laughs> the job took care of it the entire time. You know, it was yeah. like, you need an adrenaline rush. All right. Well, next week you're going to go and climb some mountains. And the week after that, you're going to go freaking shoot some guns and go dive or whatever. Like, all right, sweet. Got my stuff planned. I'm going to stay at home and chill until it's time to go work. So Dude, I've, I've been living that AATC life for a minute and my wife has been begging me and my kids to go camping for the longest time. You know, and when I'm on team, it's like, no, I'm good. Yeah. Like I spend enough time not sleeping in a bed. Uh, but I think next weekend is finally going to be the time. It, it took a while, but yeah, you, you come back around to it and you miss it, I guess a little bit. And I have all this kit that's just gathering dust for no reason. Yeah. It looks so good though. I throw um, on my Arcteric stuff to go sled down the hill right here. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I do want to put it out there just for everybody. Uh, speaking of awesome clothing, uh, this is not a plug. They're, they're not our friends. Not only am I wearing this sweet hoodie. However, yet. Uh, yeah. yet, Beyond is coming out with a whole bunch. Of, they're moving from uh, military to more like civilian sort of clothing. And I was lucky enough to get a tour of their storefront the other day, like to go look at their, you know, their setup. Holy crap. Like they have a whole wall of dudes that have signed in and it's like i know i was like i know that guy i know that guy i know that guy like it's amazing their operation up there is dope and they are releasing these sweet joggers that i got my hands on dang we're gonna have to send it to all the guys deployed you know yeah. and that's my segue into what do pjs do when they're deployed <laughs> so like yeah is that is that okay aaron are we we can talk no, about I'm beyond so or, or, yeah yeah <laughs> That was the best. That was the best segue I've ever seen in my no, entire life. For, for, yeah, but like I, I was just thinking, my last rotation uh, on if we're going to go to deployments, I I saw two different things. I saw the PJs, I think from an RQS in Kuwait, and they did a lot of training and they were staged to do things. Um, and then we had our guys over in um, in uh, Baghdad, and they were trying to reset up the the whole rescue operation over there. The uh, the two three bros, um, and. You know, like to me, it kind of looks similar, but kind of not. You know, like the guys out in Baghdad, you know, my boys from the 2-3 were, were put in the work. And then we're going out there to, to do DZSO stuff for the guys out in Kuwait, you know, and they're rappelling off those like bunkers, 
you know, keeping their skills sharp, all the, the bombed out bunkers and everything. Um, so, I mean, that's really my only experience with PJs being deployed other than like some crypt stuff. But uh, you guys obviously have a little more insight into what the, the daily life of a deployed PJ looks like. Why, Go yes. for it, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, so it's going to look even even more different. So the, the old kind of like rescue model, the easiest way to think of it is like, okay, here's a box. You're going to have a team, and if anything happens inside of that box, the team is going to go handle that problem, right? So that's kind of like you're you're sitting around reactive CSAR, and sometimes that can be really really busy, and sometimes it could be you know really not busy at all. Like the come sit and relax joke is is a joke because sometimes like you'll go through entire you know deployments or you know entire month periods, and you'll just be sitting there, and luckily nothing happens, so you you continue to train and, you know, as long as nothing happens, like you're just, you know, maybe not going to get a mission. Um, you know, the other, the other kind of posture that you can kind of take for one of these things is that you, you as a PJ are attached as a, either, either a small team or, you know, maybe one or two dudes, uh, usually coupled with controllers. Um, or you could go kind of as a singleton, you know, by yourself in support of another unit and you're providing that capability as an attached force to that unit. Um, as a, as a combat multiplier, essentially. So that's kind of the, the main differences between the RQS and the STS, you know, kind of deployment models. But all of that is even, you know, five years old now. Like we're doing things way differently, especially on the ST side. Um, my next deployment, we're not doing either one of those two things. We're literally going there um, and we're going to focus more on, um, you know, that near peer competition, great power competition, um, you know, air to ground integration with partner forces. So um, it's it's a definite move. It's the way that um, AFSOC is going, you know, the entire direction is kind of shifting to more of these sort of engagements. And, uh, you know, we're focusing on that, that, that piece pretty big. Like we have taken a ton of training to become an air advisor. So I actually get to wear an air advisor tab. I don't get the beret because I didn't go through the actual like six month course or go through the selection. And <laughs> it'd be funny to say that I am, uh, but I'm not like Aaron's an air advisor poser. Um, but <laughs> yeah, even like even these, these upcoming, uh, these upcoming deployments are, are looking really different. I, and me, of course, like I'm excited about it because it's a, it's a new skill set that we haven't even like looked at before. Yeah, definitely necessary though. Um, because they're like Aaron was talking about, you know, it's kind of what theater you go into and what kind of, you know, AOR you're going to find yourself in. Um, sometimes you are really detached from the situation and you only have like a, you know, fixed wing type of asset that's around that area. Um, and it's a short deployment or something like that. You're covering down on one thing or you're covering down, you know, for an entire AOR for five months. It's all different stuff, just depending on whatever ends up happening and what you're called to do. But at the end of the day, traditionally, what you were there to do is, um, in case anything happens, you know, you go out there and do it. And now that kind of model is changing for you guys. And like Aaron was talking about, you'll see, um, a lot different of a, a type of battle space whenever you get into that. But, um, you know, traditionally you get your stuff ready, you go, or if you're attached to a team, you bring your own little kit and then you set up, get ready, plan for whatever personnel recovery things might be happening. So, you know, the entire battle space, we're going to take people if stuff happens, all that kind of stuff. If you're the one man guy attached to stuff. Um, so every single deployment looks different depending on where you're going, who's supporting you, what kind of assets you have for fixed rotary wing, all that stuff comes into play. And of course, if we don't go, then it's a better day for the rest of everyone else. But if we do, then it's something that, you know, went wrong. Um, so that's kind of some of the things that you want to keep in mind, you know, pararescue that's 
we're not there to be, you know, always direct action kind of guys. Sure. Sometimes you find yourself attached to those kind of teams or whatever, but if you want to do direct action, um, hostage rescue and all that kind of stuff, then go into the Rangers, the uh, Green Berets, those guys. Um, technical rescue is bread and butter for pararescue. And um, that's what we're going to find ourselves training for and then deploying for. Yeah, agreed. I wonder what Jared thinks about PJs and what they do when they're deployed or if they do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, uh, I mean, I, I've been deployed to PJs a lot. Um that most of the time is, or at least the first part of the war was just strictly CSAR. I had two PJs attached uh, with me to the MH-53s, and we were going around supporting the Rangers or, or anything else in country. Um, other times was with, like, Ivan Ruiz um, supporting the SIF at the, at the time, the SIF. Um, and then, obviously, all the, all the J sets that we would do um, in Africa and Europe and stuff like that. So, um, my last deployment, I wasn't really actually my last two deployments. I, I wasn't with any PJs. Um, it was just me alone and unafraid with, with the team I was with. Dang. I guess my question is how many tough boxes of Arcteryx and Patagonia gear do you guys have to take with you? So the question is, the question isn't how many do I have to take. The question is, how many can, can I take enough? Take? To, to, <laughs> can I take all of this? I, oh man, it's one of my pet peeves too. Like I don't know what it is, but going TDY with the team and you know being back in that team training. Every time we pack out to go somewhere, I'm like, guys, listen, you do not need two 1600 size tough boxes like Pelican cases for the. It's a one week trip, guys. You need your tack gear. You need some stuff to sleep in and that's it. Don't bring eight bags. We show up for, for the movement and everybody's got two huge Pelican cases, like the dead hooker rolling bags. Like guys, five days. That's all we're doing. Five days. You, ugh, it's the worst. I don't think <laughs> the whole, are the worst. Yeah. Pack light and freeze never like made it into like the PJ vernacular. It would just, it just skipped <laughs> over y'all. Like, no, no, no. We're going to be nice, warm and cozy. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, from the day good. you become a PJ and you graduate, you get this whole locker full of things and you show up to the unit. You're just like, wow, what do I do with all these things? Cause I've been using this. <laughs> well, at least when, when we were going through, it was like, I've been using this whoopee and this hand-me-down coat for however long. And now all of a sudden you have all these things like, I don't know how to use it. So, yeah, that is one thing I will say that's a little bit different now. Um, as, as a good thing. And it started when I was in, uh, when I was working at the schoolhouse is what the first, the first time it happened, but they actually moved that supply process all the way forward. So essentially, as soon as you get to Kirtland now, you get gear that's yours. So it's no more rental gear. Like when Brian and I went through, um, you know, back in the day, like, you no kidding had gear that you use for the apprentice course that you would like sign out. Well, that was like rental gear. Like you would get hand-me-downs from like other teams or like sometimes the instructors would be throwing stuff out of their cage. Like they had too much, like too much stuff. <laughs> so they would like, literally put it in a box and you'd be like, oh, cool. These boots aren't too broke. You know, these aren't too bad. And like, as a young, poor student, you'd be like, all right, yeah, let me, let me pull these. But they actually, uh, that, that went away. And now you actually get your gear, like you get your initial issue of equipment that is yours, um, as opposed to getting it at the unit, because usually that would happen with those supply systems. You go to the unit and you'd be like, okay, I need all this stuff and they get it for you. But they give it to the students now and it, like the students take care of their own stuff way better. Like everybody's uniform. It's, it's actually an awesome process. And everybody thinking right now in their minds, like, what if they fill out? Do they get to keep the beer? 
people don't really <laughs> no. fail out at that point. I mean, yeah. <laughs> for the most part, you know, unless you do get like a DUI or whatever, something yeah. bad happens. You can't climb a rope ladder with a ruck on. You guys should yeah. be training for that, by the way. Um, then, you know, you still give the gear back or whatever. You're not going to keep all that <laughs> just stuff. Just throw it out there. Yeah. <laughs> just throw it out there. Just let them know. Yeah. Uh, but the, the deployment thing is always funny, Trent, because people are like, well, if you're deployed, like, what are you guys doing? How good, how good are, are you at Call of Duty? And I will say some of the dudes on the team are, are very good. I'm not uh, good at Call of Duty. But it's, it's one of those things like, well, what do you do if you're deployed and you're not working? Like, you know, you know, Brian and I already talked about it. Well, I mean, you are training your butt off to go get that that next mission. I mean, day in, day out. Like, you know, you talked about those guys in Kuwait repelling from the hazes like in Iraq um, on my deployment in, you know, 2010, we, no kidding, we would do like a, a full day of like sitting alert. Sometimes we didn't like actively fly to go do something, but we would like go pre-position. We would, you know, sit alert for the, for the op that was going on. Then we'd come home and, and wrap it up and whatever. But that was typically a pretty long day with a flight in and out, uh, you know, of the area in Iraq. So it was not like we were not sitting on our butts, but we would still get home and like we would train. Like we be like, all right, cool. The sun's about to come up. We're going to hit this last training event of the night. Like, and usually it was a competition, like something quick, like, you know, set this litter up and get a patient on it. The first team to go 200 meters that way wins or, or stuff like that. But some days we were just tying rope systems and dragging the, um, the razors up the side of those houses, you know, teaching the Rangers how to do systems, but you're training all the time. So there might not be anything going on right there, but, um, you know, you're training all the time for, for that next thing. And playing Call of Duty, of course. <laughs> yeah, I think hat. that's a super important <laughs> point right there, though, that you're talking about. You know, you might deploy downrange with whoever. Uh, I went on the same deployment, I think, around that same time. And uh, we had never trained with those rangers that we deployed with until they we got there. And we're just like, all right, we're taking over alert in a week or whatever, however much the timeline allows. And we haven't worked together or know anything about each other. So let's start going down and dirty and doing some drills, figure out how we're going to do this thing. So a lot of times that's just kind of the way it shakes out. You know, we don't have the funding or the the other unit doesn't have the funding to send them out there and then practice beforehand. Obviously we know each other and we've been doing our own things um, before we show up, but we just don't have the opportunity to practice with every other person. And then there's also the air assets that you're going to be working with and you're just constantly needing to just get that well-oiled machine started because when you show up it's not it's not like that you need to figure it out and figure out your contacts and then play call of duty with them to see you know what their personalities are like are they going <laughs> to throw yeah, the controller are they going to be cool about it who knows are they throw the controller? my rangers i mean this is going to date me terribly but my rangers were playing halo at the time and they were awesome and i i i had played it before but i'm just not i don't play a ton of video games um, other than NHL 2021, but, uh, yeah, they would just smoke me. Like I would pick up mm-hmm. those stick and I would just laugh because they'd be like, Oh my God, you got two kills. But I would laugh because I'd be like, guys, if I get any kills at all, that's a win. <laughs> you do not understand. So I would talk crap. Like I would kill somebody. I was like, Oh, who is that? And they'd be like, I was, you know, Tim. I'd be like, ha Tim, you suck. I killed you. <laughs> but it's funny. Meanwhile, they're killing me. You know, I'm, I'm dying like 60 times in a standard match. You just got lucky with a sticker grenade. Yeah, I, it, I don't even know what it was. Yeah, like the one like glowy sword thing that I used. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So, what, what I heard from both those things is grip strength and personality are two very important things to be a successful PJ. And also uh, thumb-eye coordination might come in handy. <laughs> At least having a, a basic understanding of video games. That's it, but, yeah. 
the, the, there's there's nothing worse than being on a litter and having the guy that for some reason just cannot carry it and keeps dropping it. You know, like you're like three quarters of a mile in, you know, over uh, terrain with like a 200 pound person in there. And that's that guy that just like drops it and doesn't give anybody any warning. And then everybody's like all over the place. Like, mm-hmm. guys, you work on your grip strength. It's important. It's super important it. and muzzle discipline don't whack your patient in the head with your weapon <laughs> another big thing that people always end up doing all right so peach uh this is for you um you said initially you want to be a pj before you're a cct so let's get into like you know what the conception of a pj was when you first came in because i had a totally different one than i have now what was your kind of thought of what a pj did and all that kind of stuff and where do you see it now I agree. It, it was completely different, and that's because I didn't have videos or anything like that. It was literally just a trifold pamphlet, so probably very similar to the four of you guys. So um, I just kind of assumed that that they were um, just doing medical, like they were medical experts. And at the time, I was working at a veterinarian clinic, so medical stuff interested me. So I was like, okay, well, I'll go do that. Um, now, though. Uh, my perception of, of not just PJs, but the entire soft community is they're extremely intelligent, problem solvers, critical thinkers, regardless of whether they're Marine Raiders, Army Rangers, Army SF, Navy SEALs, PJs, SR, CCT. It doesn't matter because they're all problem solvers, critical thinkers, and generally well-educated. So that was not even an aspect that I would have even considered at the time. Um, but having lived it now, it, it's, it's incredible what the soft community in general can do. And then uh, another part about it is you would also think that a, a PJ would, as soon as they saw a wound, they would plug it, right? So story time real quick. I got stabbed. And, uh, and, wait, and, what? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I got stabbed. And, <laughs> and, uh, so there were some PJs there. There were, there was a seven level PJ and then another seven level PJ, right? So while I'm sitting there on the floor bleeding, um, they're actually discussing, going back and forth, arguing about who should treat me, whether it should be, um, the new guys, the brand new PJs that just arrived, or whether I should, they should call nine one one and go to the doctor, you know, go to the hospital. So I mean, That's they're going back fantastic. and forth, and, I, and I'm just like, I'm just bleeding. Where right? were you? Where are you and at here? This, this is at Milton Hall in the unit. So <laughs> when I when I say stabbed, it doesn't mean that I got shanked going down the street. It means me and <laughs> Sean Harvell, Sean Harvell. <laughs> You know, oh, now this okay, makes well, that's, sense. That's yeah, it's all coming together. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. this is it's all no, coming we, together yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. this makes it, a lot of sense. <laughs> it was neither of our fault. If it if it's anybody's of fault, it's my not. fault. Of um, course, it wasn't because basically he had a knife on his side, uh, and it was one of those CRKT knives that mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you held it. It would just the blade would just fall like and open. So I grabbed him from behind and and kind of suplexed him, and yeah, that <laughs> knife went right into my thigh. So um, felt like a really bad Charlie horse. And then you know we're wearing BDUs at the time, and then I look down and all I see is black, right? And I'm like, oh, this isn't. I was like, Sean, uh, you stabbed me, dude. 
He's like, shut up. No, I didn't. I'm like, yeah. So I take my pants off and, and it's just 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 a nice big gash just oozing out. And that's when the PJs are arguing about I'm who's going to treat me. I'm going to isolate finally, that finally, of you, I, of you saying you took your pants off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> finally a pj and and he's a he's a really good dude i i won't use his last name because every there's only one of them but his first name's chris um came in and said will you guys just move and he pushed both of them out of the way and just started plugging the wound and he's like you guys are sitting here arguing about who's going to treat him and he's sitting here bleeding out what is wrong with you <laughs> so oh, the that. uh the ending to that story is i ended up getting life tissue the uh, the two brand new PJs ended up getting live tissue training on me, so it was good. That's Dang. awesome. That is the wildest story. I was not prepared for that at all. I thought yeah. it was gonna be a J Max story, honestly. <laughs> I was like, where are we going? All right, so this is one time I got stabbed, right? <laughs> I, I do, I do like uh, God. Oh, oh, God rest him. Well, I wanted uh, to clarify. I didn't, I didn't want you anybody to think I was, I was walking. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't want anybody to think that I was just walking down the street and got shanked and there just happened to be PJs right there. <laughs> I wish that was the actual case. Uh, fantastic. But I, I think from the, from the outside, looking at PJs, right, if you don't know anything about it, like there's, there's some things that are obviously true, right? Like the hair thing is obviously, it's true. Um, but like, you know, like I think... If I had to guess how it's perceived from the outside world, it's it's like a, a mixture of, of Navy SEALs and uh, Coast Guard rescue swimmers. You know what I mean? Like if I if I was a kid, like just based on the emails and some of the, the traffic that we get through our inbox, that's what I think it would be. Is is that? And then yeah, you get into the community, and is is that wrong? You know, I mean, you guys don't say bra <laughs> as much as the SEALs do. No, we really don't. Yeah, it, there are some misconceptions <laughs> out there. My, you know, the the conception you know misconceptions about you know that you guys are just like flight nurses that's my not really my favorite one like you guys are just highly trained you guys are essentially crossfit medics like that was one of the oh, like that's good. the most that's an actual quote too that happened uh wait you guys are nothing more than crossfit medics i've heard that's a good one <laughs> that one hurt uh, but my favorite i mean it, it the misconceptions come from uh especially like the the shows like the inside combat rescue show um they just show that one that one piece like that kazavak piece so then everybody's like oh okay this is what you guys do like 90 percent of the time you're like nah man for like a weird five-year period in one part of the world we found ourselves or you know two parts of the world we found ourselves doing this mission because you know the career field moved that way it was one of those you know course corrections that the career field took so we did that but that's not we all laugh because we're like man that is like the smallest part of, of our mission. Like that misconception has always been annoying to try to try to get over. The show was great because, you know, people still don't really know who PJs are. That's why there are so many misconceptions out there about the assessment selection process and what it is that we actually do, because we're, we're not, you know, super out there in the public eye, hence the ones ready podcast. Um, but those misconceptions, you know, they, they have a root in somewhere in the, the Kazovac, you know, flight, paramedic sort of corollary that people make with us a little bit that that came from those shows and stuff so yeah I, I don't they, know how they started to think that. uh you know pjs were air force dust off basically for a while and that's not the case again going back to the technical rescue thing the dust off folks are awesome at their job and everything like that um we're not here to talk crap about any single career field um they 
do an awesome job at what they do, but it's a specific mission set that they do. Unlike pararescue who does a ton of other types of missions, like we were talking about, you know, you could do a dive recovery. You can go um, do a halo jump into a mission. Obviously those are few and far between. There's not a lot of halo missions going on. So don't misquote me and think that you're going to get a halo mission. If you become a PJ immediately, Um, you heard it here first. Brian said, all you do is free fall into missions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Only when there's Somali pilots, uh, pirates involved. That's yeah. (laughs) I I will say, I'm, I'm glad to see that the whole, Hey, PJs only do CSAR thing is, is going away. Cause that needed to not go away, but at least like, Hey, broaden our, our aperture because that was really pigeonholing PJs pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely. And going into it, you know, for my personal experience, I came in, you know, there wasn't that much going on prior to when I came in, I came in 2005 or whatever. There was the, you know, obviously everything happened with 9-11. But prior to that, we didn't have a lot of videos or whatever of anything else going on. So all I saw was from the outside, the 90s PJs type of mentality. So, you know, what I saw was there's some civilian stuff or something that going on. Um, and that was the only videos that were out there for me to watch. So, you know, that's kind of what I, I saw. And, um, we'd talk about the nineties PJs and the mentality was a lot different from the ones of the last couple of decades that have been, you know, going into combat and doing all that stuff. Um, there wasn't very much going on at that point. So traditionally the pararescue community was, built to go find that isolated personnel in the jungle or whatever during Vietnam, all that stuff. There are very few PJs that have ever done like a straight up through the penetrate, through the jungle forest canopy penetrator, you know, hoist type of situation where you go down there and you watch, you know, like Pitts and Barger did and all that kind of stuff. Uh, very few PJs have ever done that specific type of mission set. Cause we don't have wars going on in very many jungles around here. It's all out in the desert. We don't need to do a penetrator type of stuff. So, um, you know, the movies that you you see or what you don't see is a lot different than what is reality right now. So it's kind of catching up to where we're at. And if they do come out with a movie that's about uh, Afghanistan or PJs in Afghanistan, like Cunningham or whatever, it's going to be totally different from what you're going to actually experience when you get into the career field in whatever, 10 years from when that incident happened. So... You um, guys were in uh, Kilo 2 Bravo, right? Was that the name of the movie where those guys were stuck in the minefield and the Jays oh, yeah. came in at the very Actually, end? Yeah, that was, was Jason. Like the Canadian dudes that had like all their legs blown off. And the Jays came in. They're like, no, don't walk through here. The Jays were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Start throwing dudes on helicopter and rescuing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the dudes that was an instructor um, down there at Indoc when I was down there. He was oh, in that movie. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. Um, so anyways, there's, uh, you know, some of the things that you picture and you watch videos, just like I was talking about with my video is different when I came in versus what videos I saw when I was, um, thinking about doing pararescue and it's going to be the same thing for you, but overall the mission set is to, is that others may live. So whatever means necessary, you're going to go in and help people. So that's, that's the main thing that you're going to be there for. And that's what you train for selection. And that's what you train for all this stuff for is that others may live. It's not to make yourself, it's not for all the Gucci gear. It's not for all the, uh, awesome TDYs. It's not for all the other stuff. It's that you get the chance in some light, in some way on some mission to go and help somebody and bring them home to their family. And that's the biggest thing about pararescue, I think. Um, and that's why I 
came into the career field. We make the jokes about the hair and all the gear and all that kind of stuff, of course, because, you know, we like to make fun of ourselves. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a super serious mission where, you know, you might not come home and that's the sacrifice that we're willing to make because we showed that we were able to do that whenever we were going through selection by holding our breath. It's not a natural thing to want to pass out underwater or be okay with it and sacrifice everything, uh, or potentially sacrifice everything. But, uh, we do it and we practice it because someday, someday we may have to actually do that. So. Sorry, I just wanted a little rant there, blacked out. Um, but I just wanted to <laughs> bring it back to bring it back to baseline and talk about uh, you know the the reason that PJs exist and kind of why we started out um, doing our our thing in the first place. I don't know, Aaron, what do you want to be a PJ for? The gear and the hair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's what got me. No, it was the same thing. And, you know, there was, I, I obviously agree with a lot, a lot of what you just said. Cause I mean, I, I want to do the same thing, right. When I found out what pararescue was from that, from that moment, it's like, no matter what it looks like, right. Cause it's changed a lot. Like even, you know, throughout my career, it's changed a ton. Like, and I'm, you know, I've been in the career field for, you know, 15 years or whatever now, but, um, it's one of those things that, that others may live that baseline, that, that thing, like that thing that I connect with, that's there in all of the, all of the different iterations of what pararescue is, whether I'm teaching partner forces, how to call for, you know, perform a call for fire, or if I'm sitting CSAR alert, you know, not doing anything, or I'm attached to a, a international soft team and I'm, I'm their primary technical rescue guy or, or whatever. That's always been the, the primary mission is to be like, to be there and, and to have that pararescue capability because it, it does save lives and it does help people. Um, and I think that's the cool thing for me is that that undercurrent has always been there. It's always easy for me to get back to my why because my why is that others may live. So, um, yeah, as soon as I found out what that was, that, you know, what that thing was that I connected with, I just knew that, that this was the job where I thought that I could fit in and, and make the most impact. Um, and that's, that's why I, I'm a PJ and that's why I do it now. Uh, I just, I love it. And of course the, the gear is nice. I got a, a cage full of stuff like, but I, I have a ton of friends that I've made, like the friendships that I've made throughout my career as a, you know, as a, as a PJ and, and in this world are amazing. Like I met all you guys, and we're all best friends and I have you know, a ton of good friends on the teams that I get to go hang out with. Like I had dinner with some of the dudes last night. It was amazing. Right. So, um, yeah, it's, it's awesome, but it's always back to the, you know, that others may live for me. Yeah. And that's some of the intangibles that you can't really, you know, put your finger on is, is those relationships, the people you meet, how close knit you are. Um, you know, and for a lot of us, I know for me coming in it, yeah, the, the, I didn't really know about the gear, but it was the mission set, doing something hard, doing something else that other people can't do. And also almost self validation because, uh, and I, and I, you know, that self-validation still never goes away, at least for me. Um, I'm always feel like I still need to prove myself, whether it's to someone else or whether it's to myself, I've got to prove myself. And, and, and I think that's, you know, that translates across PJ, SR, CCT, and the rest of the soft community. It's not limited to, to one career field. Yeah, there's definitely always someone out there that is better than you, someone out there that's always training harder than you, um, nah. a goal that you cannot hit because this, you know, life is a pretty <laughs> awesome thing and there's so many opportunities that you can go out and do just like this. I never thought that any 
anytime. Like I heard of Joe Rogan, you know, a long time ago. I never thought I would be personally doing a podcast. Obviously, we're not on that level. He's definitely better than me and all of us. <laughs> so no, I'll, I'll put it out there right now. I'm going toe to toe with Joe Rogan. Joe, next. <laughs> oh boy. We're going to go straight up listens. Next five podcasts. I'll figure out the best. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the thing is, we listen to it. We try and make ourselves better because we want to, you know, get to whatever we're doing. We want it to be at the best level that we could possibly facilitate with our, you know, mental capacity, our funding, or whatever limitations there might be in front of us. So, and it's the same thing with every other aspect of life that we try to um, attain. And I think not only that is that prevalent within the PJ community, but all of us in the special operations community as a whole, just constantly striving to make ourselves better and constantly striving to make those around us better also, because it, without, you know, our teammates, we're nothing, you know, not one man, one man show is not going to do very much um, when you're actually down there doing the mission. It's all of us combined and working as a unit. So, yeah. And I, and I think, um, I mean, what it really comes down to, right, is if you're getting to the end of this podcast and you're like, hey, I want to know exactly what PJs do, and we, we run into this a lot, and we're like, hey, there's like a million different things you can do, you know, and we didn't even get to NASA, which is crazy. Um, yeah. I can't, like, yeah. I can't believe we didn't mention NASA one time. Yeah. Well, we're not done yet. You can mention NASA. Hey, what? <laughs> what? NASA? No, like, was, I'll yeah. tell a story real quick. I, I didn't know that that was a thing until I was in jungle uh, survival training in Puerto Rico, and one of our guest instructors was a, a PJ. And we're like, hey, man, we start chatting. He's like, yeah, I'm doing the NASA mission. And I'm sitting there like, what is this Yahoo talking about? What? What? Uh, like, it boom, blew my mind. Um, but, like, all I'm saying is that the possibilities are endless, and the key is is you need to be the person that's capable of doing all these things. You know what I mean? Or willing. Willing is probably the better word of doing all these things and proving to yourself that you can do these things. Uh, the, the whole, like, you know, what am I going to get into Pararescue for and what is it going to give back to me and what can I expect? And we're always like, hey, man, that is that is up to you. You make it. You uh, you, you keep working. And, and the, the, there are all these possibilities out there. And uh, it's all determined on how hard you work. A little bit of luck, Right. Um, but also, it, it's so varied, and, and soft is that thing where it's it's not clearly defined a hundred percent of the time, and you get into a lot of different things, and you just need to be the person that's that's able to flex and to solve those problems, and uh, and do whatever is necessary at that time uh, to be successful. And I think that goes across all the the AFSCs, all the career fields. Yeah, it's it's a lot more choose your own adventure than you think. I'll, I'll say that like you can find yourself in, in weird, like I have friends that went and worked for, you know, national, um, you know, three letter agencies. They went on rotations with those dudes. Like I've had guys that got like, you know, wild assignments. You're like, how did you weasel yourself into that job? Like, how did you even get yourself into the position you're now? And people are just like, yeah, I don't know. I just had a talk with a guy one time and built a relationship and I ended up going and, and doing this thing. Oh, my flag fell down again. Guys. Yeah. Guys that worked at the white house also. I want to throw that one in there. Jeez. The, the oh, White yeah. House mission. Yeah. Yeah. The Secret Service detail mission. Like there's there's things out there that are uh, that are available to you that you would just would never even think of. And the NASA mission is a great example. Like that's a classic PJ thing. We've always done it. So when the, the astronauts, when manned space flight is a thing again, you're going to need somebody that is going to be able to go recover those astronauts um, and then respond if something goes wrong. And we've done that as a career field for a long time. And now that manned spaceflight is coming back with SpaceX and everything that we're doing. Shout out Elon Musk. 
Exactly. Shout out. So, so far we've, uh, you know, I don't want to put him in the bet too. It's Joe Rogan and Elon Musk now. Um, <laughs> but you know, since man space flight is coming back, that's been reinvigorated and that's awesome. Especially when you start talking, I've said it before you start talking about deploying PJs from low orbit space in order to go do a rescue. Those guys are going to be intolerable. They're going to tell that story <laughs> all, all the time. Imagine, imagine how intolerable I will be if I get the first space rescue. Are the helmets going to be clear so you can still see your hair in low I orbit? Don't, I, mean, I don't care. I'm going to make this story up to be whatever it is that I need it to be. <laughs> all right. Well, I think uh, I think we've we've covered per rescue pretty well. Unless anybody has any save rounds. I hate when people say say Browns, then I say it myself, and I just oh, hate myself man. for saying it. Oh, then you hate yeah. yourself. Oh, my gosh. Say Browns, yeah. alibis. You're well on your way. Chief, well on you your wanna, way. You want to piggyback on that at all or anything? Oh. I'm, def- I'm deflecting right now because I feel stupid. I was going to say, don't, don't project on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we didn't do the whole thing. Like, this wasn't a history lesson. Like, guys, if you want to know about the history of pararescue or if you guys want to, you know, in the Burma jungle of 1943, you know, like that's, that wasn't the intent of this. The intent of this was to, to no kidding, try to flesh out those, those questions that we get all of the time. Um, and the, today's focus was, you know, what does it, what does a PJ do and what can you uh, get yourself into? So, uh, man, I had a great time. I just want to say thanks to you bros and, uh, thanks to everybody for hanging out and listening to what PJs do, but that's all I got for my caveat piggyback save round. <laughs> <laughs> then I think we're good. Uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, obviously, I had a great time. Pararescue is my favorite uh, AFSC that I'm not a part of, right? Um, mostly because of their hair and their jacked and tan. Uh, shout out to BK Actual. He's awesome as well. So um, I don't think there's there's anything really we can say. Like Pararescue is a diverse and incredibly difficult and uh, um, meaningful AFSC, right? Like I think that the satisfaction that you see from the guys that have been in it for a long time is self-evident as it's something that's worth it as long as you're willing to put in the work. Um, so go out there. If, you, if you're interested, go talk to your recruiter and all that other stuff to get ready. But like at the end of the day, it's the same as everything else. Um, if you want to get into the, all these, uh, the, the myriad of missions that you want to get a, become a part of, like you need to be the right person first and then you need to get into the pipeline, you need to train hard and, and get to where you want to be. And that way you can uh, get to that point where you know, you're willing to save people no matter what. And I think that's the name of the game. So uh, thanks for listening. Go ahead and subscribe. As always, tell your friends. And, uh, you know, like we, I'm, I'm just, I just want to say I am, I'm grateful to be here. This is awesome. And uh, I couldn't think of a better way to spend my Sunday afternoon than talking about pararescue. So uh, that's it for me. And this one's ready. Check it out. Later. Later. <laughs> We're going to have so many good chapter markers. Later. Aaron. Aaron's, fl- Aaron's flag falls down. <laughs> <laughs>